I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Good morning, everybody. And this is Susan. Hello, Arthur. And today we have two very special guests. And that is the reason that I am introducing and starting the podcast today instead of Arthur, because these are two women that I have worked with in the past and are experts in the field of early childhood education. And I can guarantee that their commitment and passion for this subject is as great as mine. And that's pretty big. So I'd like to introduce Kathy Pomer and Sarah Koffler, who are the co-founders of Gather Round Consulting. Gather Round is dedicated to supporting, elevating, and transforming early childhood education. Kathy and Sarah are experienced early childhood professionals with nearly 50 years collective experience as classroom teachers, school leaders, administrators, and consultants. Their work centers around creating authentic, reflective, intentional environments and systems for children, families, educators, and therefore communities. They help them to thrive. So, Sarah, would you like to say hello? Hi, I'd love to. Thanks so much, Susan. It's such an honor and pleasure to be here with all of you today. Um, we're, we're thrilled to be on this podcast chatting with all of you this morning. And Kathy. Wow, oh, Susan and Arthur, we're so happy to be here. This is such an honor and privilege, and it's always uh, one of my favorite times when we can talk about our shared passion of early care and education and uh, how we can all be part of the care community. And I'd just like to say, Susan, a big shout out and thank you to you, Susan, for inviting our esteemed guests, Sarah and Kathy, in on this podcast. I think listeners for Parent Talk are in for a real treat today. There's so little out there in terms of serious considerations around preschool. And if you think about it, this is the first interaction many children have with formal education. You know, I actually remember my preschool. And for our children, probably one of their best years of education was in their preschool. So it's vital. It's, it's a red hot topic today. And we're thrilled that we're able to bring this to our listeners. Thank you, Susan. Oh, you're very welcome. And it's really my pleasure to get to see Kathy and Sarah again, because I haven't worked with them for a few years. So I'm going to start with a pretty general question, because I'm, I'm going to assume that most parents understand that when they're looking for a preschool or a child care center, that after they look at the cost, the location, availability for their child, what should be the next questions that they should ask themselves or ask the schools that they're looking at? Such an important question, Susan. I'm happy to dive in with that one. I think one of the most important things that a family could consider when looking at an early childhood center for their child is the school's approach and how it aligns with their views on parenting, their views on raising young children. I know for myself, I have two young children. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And really understanding a school's approach and philosophy is something so important to me as an educator and as a parent. So what does that mean? We want to really understand who a school is, what do they believe, how do they operate, and how does that come through in their practice? So for example, if a school says that they're developmentally appropriate and really looking at each child as an individual and what they need, how does that look in practice? How does that align with what they do? If a school says they really individualize their practices for each child, but then are also saying every child must be potty trained in order to come to school here, that's not necessarily an alignment. We want to look for a school that really values each child as an individual 
and therefore values where that child is developmentally. If this is a school that says that they're really child-centered, we might want to see different artwork on the wall that doesn't all look the same for each child, that's really individualized for where each child is on their journey, what's most important to them. We want to see a school that when you're walking through, you hear the voices of children, because if this is a school that believes that children are at the core of everything we do and what's most important, we want it to be centered around the children's voices. So I think really understanding what's important to you as a family and how you think about your work in raising young children, you want to see that reflected in the early child care center that you're looking at. Fantastic. I mean, that does give you a good overview. Kathy, would you like to add something to that? I, I would. And I, I believe so much in, in everything that you were just talking about there, Sarah. I think we're also looking for a school that really understands that it's a community for the children. That means that with the way that they communicate to all the different families and to all the different educators is going to be individualized in a way so that people really know that they care about parents as engaged partners. They care about educators as being supported in this community. And you're going to realize that all of those things matter to them because of how they communicate and because of how they talk about those things. I would also say that I think there are real surprises for parents out there in the world who are looking for the first time for this kind of care. It is few and far between. It is more expensive than it has ever been before. And it is still not being supported in a way that can help families find this. I was speaking with Sarah Muncie of Neighborhood Villages in in Cambridge, Massachusetts a few months ago and realized that it's almost as if when you have a child, the last thing you think about is sort of what I'm going to do with this child and where I'm going to be able to, to get wonderful care for this child. So you just assume that those systems exist out there. And I really feel like we should say even right here now that you're right to be overwhelmed when you're first looking for those things and you're going to have a hard time finding some of those places. So I think the more we can really stick together and make sure that we're looking for all the good quality spaces out there and stand up for them and let everybody know that it's about making sure that they are more plentiful, that's something that we can really all start advocating for now, even as we just approach and ask questions about where the good places are. Now, I just want to say I'm already inspired by the conversation because more and more, I mean, we see it in uh, medical practice, the commodification, the objectification, you know, everything has to be uniform, sort of an assembly line approach. And, you know, that that one thing you said, Sarah, about uh, thinking about the child's actual reality, we use the word developmental, but we're really talking about each person lives in their own reality and kids especially because each person grows and emerges in a unique pattern. I'm inspired by the idea that there are preschools out there that can actually recognize each person for who they are in their classroom and their program. So that's a great start to the conversation. Thank you. Arthur, I'd love to just add on to that quickly. I think some of the best schools that we've seen out there are schools that really elevate exactly that idea that you were just talking about, seeing a child as competent, as capable, as a whole and unique individual who we are looking to support along their journey certainly in the early care years and far beyond too. And when we can really see that recognized and realized in a school environment, we can know with certainty that our our child is just in a wonderful, warm environment that's going to help them grow and thrive. You know that there's some research out there that actually shows that children who go to childcare or preschool are better prepared for life. I'm talking about just being able to be in a community of learners, how to regulate their emotions, But that is only true if it's a good preschool. And 
that word good. What the heck does that mean? It doesn't, it can mean different things to all four of us and certainly to everyone listening. So that's why I think this is an important conversation to have just defining a little bit what experts think is good and not just acceptable, but something that is really going to support that child, as you say, Sarah, on their journey. This is kind of a meat and potatoes sort of question, but I know that it's a question that I've gotten from from parents many, many times. Is there a difference between a preschool, a daycare, and a childcare? We have um, lots of thoughts on that topic. I do think that one of the most important things to know is that those are all just words. I think what's really important is that we need to know that daycares themselves can be excellent and preschools, which sounds so much more prestigious, can also be awful or in some way denote being ready for what comes next instead of being able to handle the journey that a child is on right now, as we just talked about a few moments ago. And I think we need to be very careful about making sure that whatever the name is, it's really connoting this time, these early years, these most important in brain development and in all those ways that you talked about with success. We need to make sure that this place actually stands for the child. Lately, some of the terms that have really been important in our country have been around early care and education. I know the National Association for the Education of Young Children is really trying to move us in that place. And that is something that Sarah and I are spending so much time thinking about because we think the actual element of care, caring for a young child is so important. And when we leap over that and get into this readiness, or is that really learning? Yes, that is really learning. Yes, that is taking care of the whole child. And when we think about early care and education as something that is viable, as something we should support, as something parents should look for, I really feel that that's a wonderful start for all of us. You know, I'm going to comment on that because when I was doing evaluations of preschools across the country, I would talk to like the CEO, the owner, or these were nonprofits. So it was usually a CEO of a larger organization. And we would talk about the qualifications of the teachers in the infant rooms and the toddler rooms. And their feeling was, well, anyone can do that. It's babysitting. You know, I have a 15-year-old babysitting my kids at home. Yeah, for a couple of hours and they go to sleep for most of it. We're talking about children who may be in care for eight, nine, 10 hours or more a day. You've got to have somebody who understands that child development, the brain development, what that child needs. And I think that that is another thing that parents can ask for. What are the qualifications? If they're putting a three-month-old or a six-month-old into care, what are the qualifications of the teachers? And then see how they compare to the qualifications of the preschool teachers. They should be the same. Couldn't agree more with that. I think it is so important to look at all of the years of early care and education as, as high quality and of equal importance. And I think those infant and toddler years in particular, the high level of care that goes into those times, those moments of connection between an educator and a child are so crucially important. And yes, families should absolutely have a window into what that looks like and feels like. I remember um, an infant care educator who I worked with once who would talk about her favorite moments in the day being diaper changing, which for many, they might say, oh gosh, how could that possibly be your favorite time of the day? But she would talk about the unbelievable moments of one-on-one connection that she could have with the children in her care as she was changing their diaper, how she would talk with them, interact with them while providing a care moment that a child of that age needs. And it, it's such a beautiful reminder of how critically important those really early years are. And when we're looking for schools or programs for our children, we need to consider what it looks like from those earliest stages 
all the way through the early care years. I'll just reflect here that I'm speaking more as a lay person here than as a professional on this discussion, which is a, a neat position for me to take. And I think from my sense, childcare versus preschool, sort of an age thing, you know, infancy, zero years old, a one year old, sort of a childcare thing, three and four year olds, more like a preschool thing. Are those terms uh, not age related? I, what I'm hearing is it doesn't matter what you call it, daycare, childcare, preschool. It's the relationship between the teacher and the baby, the toddler. And the family. And the family, yes. Am I picking up on what you're trying to say here correctly? Very much so. I think that in most cases, I'll just say sadly in this country, children really don't exist publicly until they are ready for kindergarten or first grade. There are very few systems in place for children that are younger than that. That might be six, that might be five, whatever those ages are, depending on where you live in different places. The systems have really been in trouble. And I think that what that means is the good schools are few and far between. The feeder programs to help educators understand that this profession is professional and needs the education and all those requirements, Susan, that you were talking about before, have been drying up. And in fact, we're really at a crisis like we've never had before for finding those educators who know that that is actually how we define the quality of a school, no matter what it's called. And I, I think that the most important thing we can do in moments like this, when we're all coming together and when all the folks listening are coming together, is realize that as a community, if I was a young parent today, I would look at the community I live in and I would say, how do we treat those systems that most immediately impact children that are not yet in kindergarten or older. How do we train educators? How do we help employers in the neighborhood know that they can find good childcare? It's a big struggle. And I think that we'll do better when we realize that each one of us, whether we are the newest of parents or the most veteran of educators, we each play a part in advocacy and we need to know our neighborhood and not just find that one school and think that it exists alone because it's really hard out there. And I think our voices are so much stronger together. They are. Let's say this is a first time parent and they're pretty anxious about sending their three month old or very young baby to um, a childcare situation. So when they walk into that classroom, I know what I look for uh, when I was doing my evaluations. And very, very often the things that I was sort of cringing at were the very things that the teachers or the director were very proud of. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to throw this to you, Sarah. You're a parent of young children. You walk into that infant room. What are you going to look for? What's going to say, yes, this is a place I could leave my child? Such a great question. I think even regardless of the age of the child, whether it's an infant, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, whatever the age is in this early childhood spectrum, I want to walk into a classroom and see a place that is age appropriate for young children. If it's an infant room, I want to see lots of soft, warm areas with warm lighting, a really inviting space that has developmentally appropriate opportunities for a baby to explore. So in an infant room, I wouldn't expect to see a small table and chairs set up because that's not what's age appropriate for an infant. Versus a classroom for older children, I'd want to see those table setups. I'd want to see an area where a child can walk right in and find something to get involved in, find a way to be part of the classroom environment, a familiar toy, perhaps a cozy corner to go and read a story. When I walk into a classroom for the ages of any children, 
I'd love to see that there's photos on the wall of the children who are part of the space and the families who are part of that community, of the teachers who are part of the community. Kathy and I talk so often in our work about making sure that all stakeholders, that means children, educators, and families are represented in the work that we do. And that means in our classroom spaces also. So how are there photos of all of these individuals who are part of this classroom community in this space? How are there physical spaces for all of those individuals to be in? Is there perhaps an area when you walk into the classroom for a cozy and and important goodbye between a family and their child as the child is transitioning from home to school into a day? So those are some of the things that are really important to me. I think that there are lots of different kinds of materials we can talk about. We can talk about what to see on the wall. But the things that are most important to me are are the feelings that you get when you walk into that classroom, the spaces of welcome, opportunities for wonder, and, and most importantly, ways for all individuals, the children, the educators, and the families to feel connected to that classroom space. One thing that I often say to parents in all the classrooms, you're right, but I'm thinking now infants and toddlers, because I did a lot of work with infants and toddlers. (laughs) Let's say there's three teachers in an infant room, which is fairly common, and you're in that room for five or six minutes, and the conversations that you hear are among the adults. Where's the conversation between the adult and the child? In a five-minute visit in an infant or toddler room, you should hear very little conversation among the adults and almost entirely a conversation of the adult speaking to the child. And you're right about the changing table. It's one of the main things I never would leave an infant room or a toddler room without seeing some diaper changes because that can tell you a lot. So I suggest that to parents. And you did talk a little bit about materials, but one of the things that many, many infant rooms have are these, what I call the one note toys. They're electronic. (laughs) Yes. Where the child goes, boing, it goes, beep, 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 beep. That's it. Where is the wonder? Where is the exploration? There is none with a toy like that. Those Mm -hmm. toys are relatively useless (laughs) in my mind, but an old tissue box filled with scarves. Now that could entice a child for 15 minutes. Exactly. I think that that's so true. I'm also going to say for even in the older classrooms, Susan, you're absolutely right. Those open-ended materials that children themselves are able to dive in and use. I feel What's important to know is if we have, even in those older classrooms, teachers that continue to do for the children or tell the children or move the children, we've lost that idea of an image of the child as capable, as competent, no matter how old that child is. And I think that you're able to see that very quickly when you walk in and see, is the child leading the learning and or is the teacher really doing all of the movements? I think that's super important. You know, we are going to assume that the school is licensed by whatever state the person is in. I mean, they really can't operate legally without that kind of license. Is there any sort of additional licensing that a parent might look for? Or certification. Or certification, right. I'm happy to jump in there and let you know that every state has a different kind of rating, star ratings, QRIS. There's all kinds of things. And you're going to want to look locally and find out either through a child care resource and referral or someplace like that, what are the things that you should be looking for locally. For a long, long time, and we still believe it, the mark of an excellent school is one that is accredited by the NAEYC that I mentioned before, the National Association for the Education of Young Children. This is a place that not only does those basic quality standards of cleanliness and making sure that licensing and health and all of that is involved at a very lower level, but the higher level of sometimes even better ratios than a state might itself warrant, sometimes even better educational standards, as we talked about, and definitely 
a community of learners that's thinking a lot about how to do things well over time and not just one that's riding the coattails of having been a great school once a long time ago. In recent years during COVID, an interesting thing has happened. This is again as a result of the fact that there are just not a lot of great spaces to find in in quantities because the staffing crisis has become so huge. And that is that a lot of schools have stopped looking for that accreditation because they used to do it so that families would know, oh, you should come here. We're the best center. They're not having trouble having families on a waiting list. In fact, I'm sure many of you out there listening right now are on a few waiting lists yourselves. And I think that what they realized is they maybe didn't need to go through that anymore because what they really needed to do was focus on retention and recruitment of educators, which is what we are spending most of our waking hours um, answering texts, dealing with, and trying to work with the government on. However, I'm here to really let you know that the National Association for the Education of Young Children has become an incredibly relevant and important tool for any school that's trying to do well over time and for any parent that's looking to try and decode or get the the secret decoder ring uh, for, for how to find the places and how to really plug into systems that are working in this country. And I think that if you go to NAEYC, You're going to find a lot of resources, whether you're an educator or a parent. And I I feel that it's really important to know that one of the biggest things they're doing right now is not just naming quality, as you all have, we've been circling around in this whole conversation, but also naming advocacy as something that we all need to be a part of. So I I think that that may be a really great space to start. Hmm. So helpful. Thanks, Kathy. A related question. Is it helpful for parents to say, I definitely want a Montessori school or I want a school with a Reggio background? Or what should a parent say if a director says, you know, we're, we're strictly Reggio, we're Montessori, you know, inclined or <laughs> whatever? How should they take those kinds of comments? Do they mean anything to them? Really good question. And I think that goes back to one of our earliest questions when we were talking about the approach of a school and what that looks like and what that feels I think for me, if I were to hear a school say, we're a Reggio school or we're a Montessori school, I, as a parent, would really want to understand more of what that means. Because as an educator, I know that those words have sort of transformed over time. I remember when I was first learning about Maria Montessori's approach to education and realizing how different that actually looked like then versus what happens in practices in many Montessori schools. So for me, I might be less concerned about what some of those words are and far more concerned about what that means. If you say you're a Reggio-inspired school, what does that look like in your practices? And how does that impact what's happening with my child or what's happening in the classroom? Does the Reggio approach mean that you're really looking at each child as an individual, really elevating that image of the child that was born um, out of the Reggio philosophy and approach? or are you thinking perhaps more about the materials? Because we know that a Reggio-inspired school might, might look a certain way or offer certain materials. I would really want to have a deeper understanding of what's truly happening in the classrooms and what the school believes. What's happening in professional development for educators? As a parent, it would be really important to me to know that educators are constantly having opportunities to learn more, to grow as professionals, to have opportunities for learning. That feels really related to a school's approach as well. Um, that we're all on the same page and and moving forward in a certain way. I'd really want to know what those words mean and what it looks like in practice. You know, uh, Sarah, uh, your comments uh, and your questions, Susan, uh, remind me of over the decades uh, as a pediatrician, seeing what 
family's experience with early education was like. And two things come to mind, especially around all these very thoughtful approaches, Montessori, Goddard. The way in which people got into trouble in programs had nothing to do with any of that. So let's say a child had a difference in learning style. I saw schools that had no special programmatic branding excel in helping children with different approaches to learning. And I've seen programs that had very respected brands, I won't say which ones, do a terrible job. And so the, the brand didn't really tell me how the school's going to be. It goes back to what we said initially. How are the adults running and operating and staffing this program, connecting with the children, relating to the children? Do they know them? And on a positive note, the, the programs that really excelled without exception, it had to do with I loved what you said, Kathy. I wish I could remember the phrase exactly. Something about wonder, opportunities for wonder. I'm not sure. But I, I do feel like we're looking to capture a place where everyone can wonder and, and dive into those opportunities to be seen, be heard. It's actually not quite different than what we want adults to be in. And, and yet I think that it needs to be led by the child and not so much by the brand, by the approach, by a teacher, but much more about in concert together, no matter how young the child. And that doesn't really flow with brand or program. It's the no, I, room. Exactly. Exactly. People are looking for the brands to make sure that they are attractive. I'll tell you other things that also breed fear these days. If you're talking about something that is a STEM focused, if you're talking about things that are going to really make sure you have an edge once you get to preschool, we're losing the idea that in fact, there's this activity that I've done often and, and learned it from our mutual, wonderful friend, Mark Horowitz, where you go in and have this opportunity to ask teachers at the beginning of a year, what are your wishes for the end of the year? Where do you want your children to really feel strong? What are the things that your hopes and dreams for them, no matter what age? And they talk about feeling good about themselves, trusting themselves, being able to focus on things that interest them and that make them feel excited, being able to do that alone, being able to do that with others, being able to regulate themselves and be in situations where they feel empowered, independent, kind, collaborative, all of those things. The list is long. And then we save that list. And when we invite new parents into the back to school night for the beginning of a year, we don't wait for the end of the year. What we say is, let's say it's 18 years from now and whatever your child's journey is taking them on to the next place, you're giving them a big hug and leaving them there, whether it be the college dorm room that you've already outfitted or they're off to the military or they're going off to do something else in a trade, whatever it is, you're in the middle of a hug and you need to end that hug first, but you can end that hug first because your child has what inside them that is leading them forward. And the list that the parents begin to list there is exactly the same. That independence, that kindness, that ability to collaborate, that ability to explore, those question asking instead of just answer giving, all of those kinds of things that we want in a space for young children that we're never going to be able to get back if we don't focus on it before kids move on. That leads me to really our last question. And it's so funny because uh, Mark and I never discussed this, but that is something that I would ask parents in my parents group, write a list of the qualities you'd like your child to have when they're 18 or 21. And guess what? It's about readiness for school because not one parent says, I hope that they'll be able to read. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so true. So true. 
be independent. I want them to be caring. I want them to be supportive of the community. Not one of them says, I want them to read or be able to write their numbers. So should parents be looking for preschools or even in toddler rooms where they're doing letters and numbers and worksheets, et cetera? I think this last conversation just sums it all up. We are looking for schools, especially in these early years, that are promoting social and emotional growth and development. These early years, that zero to five time span, it's a sweet spot. It's a time that doesn't come back to us and a time that we need to make sure we are elevating for our youngest learners what is most important. And that is becoming a good human being that is growing and seeing the world and having these experiences that craft us as the human beings that we are into the human beings that we're growing into in ways that are so focused on social and emotional development. It is easy to get caught up into that rut of, oh my gosh, my child has to learn their ABCs and learn those one, two, threes. That all comes over time. But these early years to focus on who we are, to grow our hearts and our souls um, as good, kind Caring human beings, that is what these early care and education years are truly for. Readiness comes in time. And when those children get to kindergarten and first grade and on, there is all the time we need to focus on those types of skills. The skills we need to develop now are those that are so deeply rooted in social and emotional development and focus on the child as a whole. On that point, I just have to add, there's the Ivy League fallacy. Am I wrong, uh, Kathy, Susan, uh, Sarah? I mean, we, we see parents thinking they've got to do things at age one to make sure the kid gets into Harvard. And okay, I'm in favor of a highly educated population, but how about the ABCs and the one, two, threes being part of the age of wonder? Why not make that exciting and thrilling as opposed to a regimented march towards one end? And then what happens if you do go to Harvard and, and you've only lived your life to get into Harvard? What do you do when you graduate? Oh, and how do you get along with all of the people that are at Harvard with you? Yeah. I, I think that it's a really important thing to know that, in fact, children are curious. Children want to learn. The letters and the numbers and all of the details of the world are around them every single day and in every interaction. They're asking to have conversations about those things right now. We don't need to be the ones who lead that. And in fact, there are studies that have shown that within six months after joining a, a kindergarten or first grade classroom, children that did not have any of that, we'll just call it sort of academic readiness beforehand, are all looking like each other within six months and within that first year. That's the work of those years to handle. However, the children that did not have that social emotional support in the early years never catch up. They never get that time back. And that's a really important thing if we want to be focused on something and not be fear-based. But if we really want to know that this is the time that we don't have time to catch up for, social emotional is where it's at. And that's really where we should all be keeping our eye on. Well, we are going to have to end this conversation, but I think that we might have to invite Sarah and Kathy back. What would you say to that, Arthur? Because I don't think this conversation is completely finished. It's a must. If you're up for it, we would love to continue the conversation. We'd be honored. Oh, it, we, we happen to be free that day, actually. <laughs> we are free that day. Well, I would just like to sum up. It sounds to us what we are looking for in a preschool is a preschool that is going to support and nurture relationship with the child, because that is the key for that child to be able to self-regulate their own emotions and to be able to, to grow into that community of learners 
and uh, the academic preparedness is really secondary, maybe even tertiary to the other other kinds of skills that a child gains during those first zero to six years of life. Thank you so much, Kathy and Sarah. This was amazing. We are delighted that you were able to join us and we hope seriously that you will join us again in the future. We would love that. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure. Thank you. So grateful. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.